0: 31-person shows, and more than 80 group shows. We are thrilled to host this thoughtful exhibition of works from the Experimental Printmaking Institute curated by Curley, and even more excited to have him here today to talk about that institution and these works in his own words. Thank you. you. First let me thank the Hodges Center and the for extending the invitation. Jerusa, is she here? No, she's not here. She's not. She's no doing science. conference tasks. Um, oh. <laughs> well, this has been very uh, instrumental in, in advocating that my work at EPI be considered for exhibition here. Um, I don't know quite what to say about it. You know, I like the work to speak for uh, the effort, the uh, beauty of the work that's been made by these artists their commitment to the medium and their own language and voice. Uh, I was asked earlier by some visitors from Montreal, Canada. We have others from Puerto Rico and other places. And they asked me about why uh, EPI, how this got started. And I told them it was a response to boredom. Uh, <laughs> but it's
1: connected.
0: <laughs> When I, I, I studied with Robert Blackburn in New York City, and I'm going to tell you how this happened, which really speaks of the, the maybe motives behind a, a workshop like UPI. I had written a letter to Elizabeth Catlin. I had met her in an exhibition. And the way I met her is that me and my wife came to the exhibition, and we met a man that was in the street that was intoxicated that happened to be Elizabeth's husband. <laughs> <laughs> so we helped him into the gallery, and we I became friends with Elizabeth. My wife would correspond with her. And I sent a letter and I asked, dear Elizabeth Catley, can I come and work with you in Guanabara, Mexico? That I would be willing to be your assistant, uh, your gopher. I would rub your back anything you need. Because (laughs) I I wanted to be a part of this this great chain. And she was uh, such an important link in that chain. I never heard anything back from her. So I was at home one day, and I was ironing some clothes. I, I like the way I iron, because I like the way my wife iron. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I won't get into that, but anyway. <laughs> uh, I get a phone call, and it's Bob bar. someone I had only read about. It. And I was a student finishing up at to a Bar, and there was one book in that library on African-American art. And that was a very thin volume on Huey Lee Smith, a small catalog. He had been a student at of art. Later, I, I was introduced to a talk that he was giving, uh, but uh, there was not a lot of information. And of course, I later encountered the book by James Porter on modern Negro art, in 1943. And why that was important is there was a painting in the book called "The Janitor Paints" by Palmer Hayden in 1936. The moment that I saw the painting, I was working as a janitor at night at NASA to through school. So if a janitor could paint, then perhaps I could paint. So just that image demonstrated the possibility for me. And that's connected to also EPI, is creating a possibility for art to be made. So uh, Bob Blackburn said, Curly, I understand you're going to Mexico. I said, I don't know anything about this. I don't know where worry about that information. <laughs> he said, I need to send some paper down to Gornbacher. Why don't you take the paper to Elizabeth Cap?" Well, of course I'll take the paper to Elizabeth <laughs> And he said, uh, let's call her right now. I said, call her Elizabeth
1: Cappell? <laughs> he said, yeah, let's write
0: it while it's hot. <laughs> so we picked call and Elizabeth answered the and she says, Yes, I know who you are, I got your letter. But I told Bob who's always leap, messing it up, you know. And I told him to give you a fellowship because I couldn't work with you right now because you had had back surgery. That's how I got to the workshop and met Bob Lightburn. Now I had heard a little bit more about Bob because I had a teacher who taught me lithographs, Dan Rome, who taught me lithography. Dan Rome was brought into Tony Grossman's. Uh, studio, because Bob was working on a stone Roshenberg was working on, which eventually became the accident. It was a large stone. So Bob was the master printer, the stone cracked. Not only was the stone broken, but Bob was broken because of this. He put down those rollers, and he stopped printing completely, because he believed it was his fault. Now, Rochamberg loved the crack, so <laughs> brings in my teacher from Yale, Van Rome to take a look and of course it was an imperfection in the stone that caused him, not Bob. It took a long time for him to get over this. We joined the stone and that was the print, the accident, that's in the four year of the MoMA and won the first prize for printmaking, international printmaking, the Taipei prize, which set printmaking in the forefront of arts of the U.S. From this accident with Bob Blackburn, <laughs> so you see, it's how far you take the story. Yeah. <laughs> so EPI came out of a desire when I arrived at Lafayette College because one day it was a phone call to the workshop looking for someone like me, but they wanted was a printmaker who had written, I had had a number of things published uh, about art and about the African-American experience and Grace Hardigan told him, Grace Hardigan told him the to call, Bob Blackburn. I so many stories There's great stories, but later I yeah. was to meet Grace Hardigan and um, because of oh, a set of other things, but she did tell me when I met her that I had been writing her letters and she said, well, I want you to come in print just like Bob did in 1943 and you're going to have to bring the stones up to the third floor of my loft in Baltimore, and you're going to have to stay in the loft with me. Now, I had heard she was a pretty frisky woman, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then she did, she was a pinch. And every morning, she'd have her hair done, so I knew something oh, wow. was going on. <laughs> but she said, you've got to bring that stone upstairs, the third floor, to stay with me because when Bob came, he was not allowed to stay in any hotel in Baltimore because of his race. So, uh, I decide, I'm at Lafayette College, and there's nobody that looks like me at Lafayette College at that time. And I was so used to a diverse environment, an environment that was nurturing among arts. And I wanted to create that. That's the board I was talking about. So, I wanted to create that experience. So, I asked for permission to invite artists into the studio, and they told me I couldn't because of insurance and policies and things like this. So uh, they had made a promise when they hired me to build a full studio, when I kept them to the promise. And they identified an alum who would sponsor this. And so I went out, an alum and a board member, so I went out to dinner with this board member. And I told the story to many people. And I'm sitting at dinner with him, and he Storing ordering a list of very fine wines, very successful, very wealthy individual. And he asked me what type of wine would I like, and I decided that I wasn't going to get into that because I wasn't that experienced. So I told him I'd like to have some boom farms. I back to one of my kids. And I shut that down because I couldn't talk about male back. I couldn't talk about Indian beings, you know what I'm saying? So I'd like to get rid of that conversation. And, <laughs> and he asked me what I wanted. And I told him, I can't tell you what I want. I've never been asked that question. He said, how much do you want? I said, I can't tell you how much, because I've never been asked that question. I said, I told him about my background and where I grew up and my father was a, I was a worker, and my mother was a domestic. So I said, I I don't know about this, you know? He told me where his father died early, and they left him and his brother $5,000, and he turned it into a lot of money. And uh, I told him, look, if you give me a check, I will promise you that I will give you many returns on it. That I'm a wild star, you just got to keep me on the track, and I'll win the race. So he wrote a check, and that was the beginning of the since then, we've had students and their parents who have supported UPI. I had, one summer, I was working with an artist by the name of Ulysses Marshall. And I had a young student who came to see me and asked me, could you work with me? He wanted to be an artist, nothing about being an artist. And I said, OK, why don't you come this Saturday and work in the studio with me, Ulysses Marshall, who's an artist from Washington. And he said, my parents are going to come, and they like to visit and see me. So this is s- s- kind of stressful, because he didn't know anything, and he wasn't very talented. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to create this entire experience. And the parents saw him as a supremely gifted person. So we aligned everything around him, you know? And after this experience, which was kind of stressful, Chris Um uh, I went over to his parents, who were standing in the corner. and says, you know, I, I hope you're pleased with it. Chris wants to be an artist. Now, this is a college that is normally thought of as an engineering college. It's one of the wealthiest colleges in the country, small colleges. But engineering is the focus. And uh, we don't normally meet many students that, whose parents would support them being artists. Actually, I've had students sign up for engineering classes after the parents paid the tuition, drop the classes, and move to art. <laughs> they just weren't, you know, art was not something, and that, that particular class of people were supporting. And uh, the parents says, no, we want them to be an artist. A week later, I get a phone call, and they ask me what do I need in the shop. I said, well, I need a large brand press or a concrete press. They said, how much? So I told them, and the check was received a few days later. Mm-hmm. They have a supporting EPI now for It got to the point where they would call me to find out how their son was going after he had graduated and got married and had a child. Well, <laughs> 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 so I didn't talk to Chris for a while, how's he doing?" So I became a surrogate father. But that kind of support allowed us to create an institution that had no real concerns about funding and we would invite artists. And our reputation was that an artist would come with any project and we would not restricted or defined. So the artists would have to tell us what they wanted to do. Some artists really bloomed in that experience, like a Sam Gilliam. Other artists, like a Chicago Booker, was then in, totally intimidated by the experience. What am I to do? So we were fortunate to have someone like Chase Clark, who's the master printer in the PI, Right. who is one of the most gifted printers I've ever met, because he's able to translate the language so effectively in a way that any artist, sculptor, painter, can be introduced to the medium and find a voice in the medium. And not many printmakers can do that. They can master the medium and the material, but master the song that printman gives to you is a totally different game. So over the years, we printed, uh, as I mentioned in a talk a few days ago, over 300 editions by artists from all over the world. And I can recall, when you see the majority, there are a lot of works on display there by artists of color. This was not to design of EPI. Sometimes we were identified as an institution that printed African American artists. That was not the mission. The mission was to create a space that celebrated the creative impulse, and celebrated the act of making art, period. But as a result of how segregated the art world is, much like the rest of the world, Few African-American artists had an opportunity to make prints unless they were Glenn Lion or Fred Wilson or Chicago Booker. Unless they were blue-chip, they were not being invited. So we got the reputation that it was a welcoming environment. So Mel Evers brought William T. Williams one day. And William T. toured the shop, and he said, well, Curly, how many prints can I make? I said, well, we like small editions. You know? He said, no, how many different prints? This was a warning, because <laughs> it is endless. We have to stop it. No, just endless. But uh, I said, how did you, you know, really find out about EPI? He said, Mel well, Edwards told me it was the best place next to heaven for an office. Because it reaffirmed, we provided housing, transportation, food, student assistance, and any body of work that you could make, and we found a way to do it created in a celebration of our 10th year, the longest print in history, 2,000 foot long print. Continuous print with students and community members, a big steam roller, and we made this happen. Now, this caused a little controversy because Sam Gilliam said that he had made the longest print. This was not true. <laughs> Him and Bill Wick at uh, Tanner Press. What they did is they, they would have a, an apparatus of other friends, and they would feed large sheets, and then connect them. I said, oh, it was ours it was tenuous, uninterrupted. And the way we were able to do that is I called tieback Company in Ohio. I said, this is Curly Houghton, I'm a hometown boy from Cleveland. I made good, and I need some tieback. <laughs> I need 2,000 people on Tybeck, out your logo. And they agreed to do it as long as they could promote it on their website, that they it doesn't love it. And we had uh, newscasts was coming in, CNN was coming in, and then they had a big tornado, and they had Diverton, so we lost out because of the tornado. But uh, again, it is creating possibilities and opportunities, and I think that the key of this, and this goes back to Bob Blackburn also, Bob created opportunity for artists. I would meet artists, very famous artists, who tell me they arrived from Europe, from Greece, and the first place they went to was Bob Blackburn. Before they found a hotel or any place to live, when they got into New York City, they went to Bob Blackburn because it was known as a place that would welcome you. And as I mentioned when I arrived at Bob Blackburn's, I used to take a train from Cleveland, Ohio at midnight, arrive in Grand Central Station at seven in the morning, work for three or four days and go right back to my family, because I have family and children. And I told Bob I can't, you know, I need to find a hotel, and I was thinking, you know, a nice hotel, you know. Sleep on that press. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sleep on a press, man. He says Robert Rauschenberg slept on that press. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy said, "Just move over, and then you get up on that." Press. <laughs> but Bob created opportunity because he had so little. And I believe at the end of my the primary motives, and I think this is always important to get to the motivation of the work. What is it really about? You know, what's underlying the work? Beyond the mastering of the medium and the color and shit, what is it really about? And I think that's critical. What are we speaking about? And I ask that of all artists and their work. So underneath Bob's motivation was to create a welcome environment because he was not invited into one. He was creating what he didn't have. I was creating what I didn't have. What I created was not what I experienced. Not what I was mentored into. I had the opposite. I'll show you how know this comes back. Home. I was finishing at the Institute and uh, I had a child. I'd been to, in, uh, drafted there in Vietnam and got out of the Army and you know, started taking night classes at the Institute. And I had a son that I used to carry in one of these mail pouches. I'm very maternal, although a male is very maternal for and I would take the class with me. He's a very well-mannered child. And I remember that professor saying, you know, I got a dog and a wife at home, and I don't need to bring them to class. All right. <laughs> Ten years later, I get invited to be the Blossom Artist of Residence at Kent State University. And he's sitting in the front row. And I begin to tell the story, and I tell that story. <laughs> he gets up and he walks up to me and he says, Curly, you got to forgive me for doing that. Now. You see it comes over. <laughs> so my point is that I was creating opportunity and working very hard to do it. And we do that. We surrender to the artist and to the project. And try to create something that didn't exist before. I think that's what we do as artists, we try to bring forward something that didn't exist before. And I remember when Al Loving, he was one of America's great artists, had received a prize at Brandywine. And he saw me in the, in the audience and he said, that's the best printmaker in the country. He said, right there. And he came down and he began to talk about the motives of artists, desire, will to power, finding a voice, but what's inside, and they're bringing it forward, bringing the morality forward, the ethics forward, making it present in a world where it might not be present. And I think that's what we are all doing. So I did a talk a two of thing, and I met a number of the professors who are doing current work, abstract. And they talked to the talk about my work. And I said, well, we're all doing the same thing, aren't we? I said, no, I don't think so. We're going to figure it out. I said, no, we're missing the point. That's really my vehicle. It's not what I'm trying to talk about. What I'm trying to talk about is expanding our sense of humanity. And that's what EPI is about. This is what all this work is about. Moments of expressions of humanity by those individuals. So if you like, I can walk through some of the pieces if you like.